Today's video was recorded on April 5th, 2022, and this is the 12th in our series through the book of Exodus. Now this lesson is the second in a short three-part series that's going to cover Exodus 12 and the Passover. And this series on the Passover leads us directly into the 2022 Passover, which begins on Friday, April 15th. So in this video, we look at some of the details in Exodus 12, which happens to be the first Passover and the Exodus from Egypt, and we show how these details translate over to the New Testament as the writers of the New Testament see Jesus as God's Passover lamb. So if Jesus is God's Passover lamb, then the details of Exodus 12 should also fit the details about Jesus that we find in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. Now, as a reminder from our previous video, the holidays of Passover and unleavened bread are the first two of seven holidays that God appointed for the Israelites. And on our Fig Tree Ministry YouTube channel, you can find a playlist of lessons that cover the remainder of these biblical holidays. And it's remarkable to see how the events from the Gospels are situated within the framework of these holidays. It's even more important when you see how the holidays in totality provide us with a picture of God's plan of redemption. So make sure you check out those other videos. That'll really help you round out your understanding of all of the biblical holidays. Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit biblical educational ministry. So our mission is to help people go deeper with their study of the Bible by looking at the text through the cultural lens of the ancient Near East and first century Israel. Once people appreciate how important culture is to understanding the message of the Bible, the world of the Bible begins to open up before their very eyes. Now, Fig Tree Ministries is 100% listener-supported. Our ongoing operations rely entirely on the generous donations of our supporters. Now, if you've found our lessons to be valuable and they've helped you gain insight into the biblical text, we ask that you would consider a financial donation to Fig Tree Ministries. Financial donations are easy and secure through our website, figtreeteaching.com, and the third-party organization that we partner with called DonorBox. And when you donate through DonorBox, you'll immediately receive an email confirmation of the transaction. And all of your donations are tracked through your own DonorBox account. Now, this makes it easy to keep track of your donations, and when it comes time for you to file your annual tax return, they'll all be in one place. So to all of our donors, we cannot thank you enough for your generous support that makes this ministry possible. So we hope you enjoy today's lesson on the details of Exodus 12 and how they relate to Jesus and the details found in the Gospels. All right, well, let's keep going. We're in the middle of talking about the Passover because the Passover is coming up in two weeks, right before the Easter holiday. And this is going to be a bit of review, but there's so many details to the Passover, and it's always helpful to go over them and over them and over them, particularly because as a community, as a Christian community, it's outside of what we normally do. And so we have to look at it a couple times, and then even if you can, participate in a Passover Seder, and that's always helpful to reinforce some of these uh, details. So this is going to be the Passover part two of three, and next week we'll talk about what's going on at that 
uh, a Passover Seder and the Last Supper and just show you some little teeny details from that Last Supper that help you understand uh, the Passover meal and what Jesus and his disciples are doing. We did a little bit of that last week, but we'll do some more of that next week. The painting that I used, again, this is the same one I used last week. This is The Israelites Leaving Egypt by David Roberts, a Scott painter from 1829-ish. They're not exactly sure when he painted it. So that'll be our background as we talk about the Exodus. And this is going to be our Exodus study, part 12. And we're talking about the Exodus now. And that Exodus occurs in Exodus chapter 12. So coincidentally, the 12th part of our series ends up being chapter 12. So if you want to have at least have your Bible open to chapter 12, because we will read a good portion of it. And what I'm going to do in the interest of time is when we compare it to something that's happening about Jesus, I'm just going to have you look at your sheet rather than flipping back and forth in the Bible. That'll just save us some time. Mainly, you'll just be looking in Exodus 12. So, okay, last week then, this was, we took a 10,000 foot view last week of Passover. What an important holiday this is for the nation of Israel. And not only is it the holiday, of course, that they're redeemed out of Egypt, out of the slavery, and basically birthed into a nation. So they have their patriarchs, they've, um, they get down into Egypt, they become slaves, but they're not a nation yet. And you have to, they get birthed out of that through the, the chaotic waters, and now God's going to have to give them some structure. But this Passover becomes the preeminent annual celebration for Israel. And we noted last week that at, at many of the critical junctures of the nation of Israel, you find Passover. And of course, when we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, what's the main holiday around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? It's Passover. So once again, there's like a new beginning happening. It's a new age dawning. And that's exactly what the New Testament tells us too. Uh, at least John, definitely John, has the idea of something new is dawning. Okay, so it's very important to, is, to Israel. Then we said, well, what about Passover and our Gospels, right? Well, every single Gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, make sure that you know the death, the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus are placed in those holidays. The, it's three biblical holidays, but Passover is the one that kicks it off, and Jesus is God's Passover lamb. So for a thousand years, everybody brought their lamb. And in that particular year, somewhere, somewhere around 30 to 33 AD, God said, I'll tell you what, folks, now I'm going to provide a lamb. And this lamb is going to redeem the blood of the lamb. If you're covered in the blood of the lamb, you're redeemed. If you accept that Passover sacrifice, you now get launched as a re uh, rebirth. Uh, you're born again. And it's that process of redemption that launches you out into a life uh, now as a Christian. So you see 
both from the Exodus and in Jesus, this idea of redemption that comes out of it. And let's see. We talked about the four expressions. This is one of the main things we did in the book of Exodus. God says four times, I will bring you out, I will rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will take you. And those four different expressions turn into four cups of wine at a Passover Seder. And then you see those four cups of wine, or at least some of the cups of wine, at the Last Supper. Because that's, what, that's the wine that Jesus is engaging as the meal goes on. And one thing we noted that's really cool about those four expressions is as they go along, they increase in the intimacy of being with God. So that by the time it says, I will redeem you, it's the idea of the, uh, you're outside of God's household. And somebody is going to go out and rescue you and pull you back in to the household, to your proper place in the house. And that's exactly what Jesus says after the Last Supper. I'm going to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. You're outside the Father's house. I'm going to bring you back in the Father's house. So the representative of the Father, the Son, gets sent out to redeem. Then we noted That's the third expression, redemption, and that's the cup that Jesus says, this is the covenant. Then the next one, I will take you to be my own, is is the idea of a wedding. So that for a wedding, I will take you. Well, that's what we see at the end of Exodus. How intimate does God want to live with his people? Just like at the end of Exodus. He's intimately in the community. His presence is right there. What do we see at the end of uh, the New Testament and Revelation? It's the marriage. The bridegroom is coming back to get his bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom. So what we see is the same uh, metaphor that's going on from Exodus and the New Testament. It's so important to pick up on those little details so that we know God wants to intimately dwell with us as if we were in a marriage relationship. That's how close. In fact. When Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near in the New Testament, that come near is the union between a man and a woman. That's how close the kingdom of God is. It's available, and God wants to dwell that close with you. All right, so that was all last week. If you happen to miss it, the video's posted on, uh, on YouTube, and you could go back and review all those, but Boy, when you start to see these details jump out, it's really cool to see God's plan for redemption and how he wants to dwell with us. All right, that was review. Now, this week, we're only going to talk about Exodus 12. And in Exodus 12, this is the actual Exodus event. So if you, again, if you want to open your Bible to Exodus 12, we'll be reading some there. And it's very important. There's so many details in Exodus 12, but we want to look at those details and how they, um, how they interact with Jesus. Now, to start out, though, and I put this as number one on your sheet, we start out, I'm going to start out with something that Paul says. And you'll notice, well, if you read the bigger picture in 1 Corinthians, Paul, he just kind of 
says this as if everybody in the in his audience understands what he's talking about. He doesn't stop to explain it. It's not a it's not like a major theme in any chapter. He just happens to say something about the Passover. And so it's important to note his audience gets it. And so 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8, and this is at the top of your sheet, it's actually not a very, uh, it's not a great part of, you know, Corinth, they were kind of a mess. That place was, uh, there was a lot going on in, in Corinth. So he was talking about some incest that unfortunately had happened within their little house church, and they were boasting somehow about the incest. And of course, he starts out, your boasting is not good. Don't boast about things like that. But watch what he says. This is now verse 6. He says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Now, the yeast he's talking about is the sin. But what happens when a little bit of yeast gets in your church congregation? It can explode, right? It can, it can leaven the whole batch, and you don't want that to happen. But what are we talking about? What are the holidays? Passover and unleavened bread. They're right next to each other. So he, verse 7 now says this, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. So he's just dropped into the metaphor of Passover. And what's key that you understand that when you see that unleavened batch, he's now in unleavened bread mode, which is also, that's Passover unleavened bread. And then he says this, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So how does Paul understand the death of Jesus as the Passover lamb? But notice, it's just kind of an off comment, right? Everybody in his, his little house church that he's writing to understands the metaphor. It's, it's us that we have to kind of go back and fill in the blanks here. And then in verse 8, he starts out like this, therefore, let us keep the festival. Well, what festival? Let us keep the festival. What festival is Paul talking about? The festival of unleavened bread. He doesn't tell them to stop celebrating that. You keep celebrating it. Why? Because God said so. But he's saying now we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Passover and unleavened bread with a new uh, Jesus is now going to show us how that's being fulfilled. How does Paul know that? That's, this is the main point. Paul just kind of says this. How does he know Jesus is the Passover lamb? Where's he getting all of his data from? So that's what we're going to do tonight. Because he's, that's just, again, it's like a, just a little off comment there. But boy, that speaks a lot because everybody in that congregation knows the metaphor of Passover. So, okay, now let's start in Exodus 12. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read some details. And these are probably the most important ones. I'll, we'll read it in Exodus, so if you have your Bible, stay in Exodus, and then I'm just going to put on the screen and just listen, and I, they're on your sheet so you can follow along, but listen how the New Testament writers are making sure to include these de little details so that their audience knows what they're talking about when they say uh, Jesus is the Passover lamb. So we'll start in Exodus 12. So what we're going to look at is this one little sentence about a lamb without a defect. You have to choose a lamb without a defect. So this is going to be Exodus 12, 1 to 5. I'm going to read 
start reading at verse 1, and I'll point out a couple things along the way. But we want to get to the part about the lamb without a defect. Because how would we say without defect? If we're talking about Jesus, we would say sinless. He has no defect. So starting in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. That month uh, in Deuteronomy is called Aviv. In later, in other places, or in modern is Israel, or uh, yeah, they call it Nisan, the month of Nisan, which is borrowed from Babylon. But that month is right now. It's springtime, April. It's when the barley is first coming ripe. It's all based on the agricultural calendar. But the new year also coincides with the rebirth of the, of the plants, right? They see it as a big cycle, and it's the redemption, this bringing out of a new nation. So the, the, the celebration of redemption comes at the time when the, re, the world is, in their minds, renewing itself. Okay, verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So it's a household celebration rather than a, something at, at the temple. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, then they must share with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. Then it says, uh, still in verse 4, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Now, it's important to note right there, Something about this, this is not a sin sacrifice. It's a sign, the blood on the side of, the, of their household is going to be the sign for God, but it's not a sacrifice for sin. This is a thanksgiving sacrifice, because later, if you read in Leviticus about a thanksgiving sacrifice, you always have to have enough people to eat the lamb in one day. Because if you've got something to be thankful for, you've got to invite as many people and tell them about it so that that whole meal gets finished at one time. So just a minor note that it's a Thanksgiving um, sacrifice, not a sin, because God hasn't given them the Torah yet. So, okay, then verse 5, this is what we're going to. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. But that's a key little phrasing right there. Because if Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb, God's Passover lamb, is he allowed to have a defect? No, disqualifies him. Okay, now, on your sheet, I have 1 Peter. It's verse 19. I think I have 18 and 19 up here on the screen. But just listen to the way Peter talks about Jesus. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Peter picks up on that idea to make sure his audience knows they're going up. Ah, that's going right back to the Passover lamb. How do we know? Well, the Passover lamb is for redemption. And Peter mentions redemption. So there's more verses than that. I'm just saying, I, wanna, I just want you to see, they recognize Jesus as the Passover lamb. And they're going to 
put it into their letters, their communications, to make sure that you understand it as, as the audience as well. Okay, so we have a lamb. We have a lamb without defect. You pick the lamb on the 10th day. Then you're going to take that lamb from the 10th day, and you're going to put it in your house, and you're going to watch over that lamb to the 14th day of the month. So four days that lamb is in your household. And on the 14th day of the month, what are we going to do with it? So notice how specific God is getting. 14th day. 15th day of, is unleavened bread. So the 14th day of the month. If we look at Exodus verse 6, so we just read 1 through 5. Look at the very next verse. Exodus 12 verse 6. And great teachings come out of this. Take care of them, that's the lamb, until the 14th day of the month. Now, take care of them. You're going to have to go sacrifice the animal you just brought into your house. You could say, well, the kids are immediately going to fall in love with this little lamb. And then you have a great way to talk about, you know, the sacrifices that need to be made for redemption. And the lamb represents that. Um, we'll see a little bit later this word right here for take care. It means to keep watch, to guard. You're guarding that lamb till the 14th day of the month. All right, so if the lamb has to be sacrificed on the 14th day, and Jesus is the lamb, right? Then what day do we, we know what day he died, or what, he, what day he was crucified? Because what are the odds? Now, I know there's a debate. Let's, let's, I'm gonna, I put down Luke 22, 7, because I just want you to know, in Luke, he mentions... Then came the day of unleavened bread, which the, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Luke is saying, hey, the day is here for the Passover lamb to be sacrificed. And if Jesus is that lamb and God's given a commandment that it happens at the 14th day, what are the odds that God missed that day? Now, I know there's a debate because everyone's trying to figure out how do the, how do the four gospels line up to get Jesus on the cross on Passover. And I just have faith that God doesn't miss things like that when he's, you know, if he knows it's the 14th day at a certain time, then he'll get Jesus on the cross in the 14th day at a certain time. And I have faith that he is the lamb. So just to recognize, we know what day then he would have been sacrificed. It would have been the 14th day of the month. Okay. Then next one, sacrifice time. So it says, take care of them till the 14th day of the month. This is still Exodus uh, verse 6. When all the members of the community must slaughter them at twilight? Now, what's twilight in your mind? So twilight in our modern thinking is not what's going on here. And it's really important to note this. That's just a, it's just not a good translation. Because I Googled, here's what I did, I Googled twilight. So if you just Google the definition of twilight, I think of twilight after the sun goes down, before it gets dark. You have that period of time where, the, where you still have light. And here on Google, it says, the soft glowing light from the sky when the sun is below the horizon. That's how they envision twilight, or that's how we envision twilight. The problem is, that's not what the text says. So, if we look at twilight, 
Now, I'm just going to put the Hebrew up here. You don't need to uh, memorize this, but it's for the video. Um, and it means between the two settings. That's what it more literally says. Between the two settings or between the two settings of the sun. Now, what? So you could see if it sacrifice at between the settings of the sun, now you've just confused all us English readers. What does that mean? So how do they decipher this? What does it mean? Because if you said, well, between the settings of the sun, 6 p.m. the sun sets, 6 p.m. the next day sunsets, halfway there is 6 a.m. Well, that's not the time. So let's look at how they come up with this, because um, it it actually does get us to a particular time, and that's very important for us to know. So, the sun takes a trajectory through the sky, yes? Somewhere around, we'll call it 6 a.m., just for the ease of, you know, we're not trying to deal with specifics here, but somewhere around 6 a.m., the sun begins to ascend. It rises above the horizon, and it begins to ascend. It ascends to a peak. Somewhere around, we'll call it 12 noon. So that's halfway through the day, right? Then what happens is the sun begins to descend or set. So it begins a downward trajectory, and the rabbis say, ah, that's the first setting of the sun, when the sun begins to traject downward. Then we'd say, okay, well, if 12 noon, after that's the first uh, trajectory down, the second one is going to be when the sun sets, somewhere around 6 p.m. That's the second setting. So if the Bible says between the two settings of the sun is between 12 noon and 6 p.m., which is about right here on this little chart, we get the time of 3 p.m. And this is exactly right. This is the time that the Passover sacrifice for the nation of Israel was sacrificed at the temple. You have a three o'clock every day at the temple. So 3 p.m. Now, your Bible, well, let me, let me go backwards. In Israel, they divided their days. Uh, the daytime, you announced hours. So one through 12. First hour would be our 7 a.m. Second hour, 8 a.m. When you get to the sixth hour, that's 12 noon. And so 3 p.m. in uh, your New Testament may be referred to as the ninth hour. It's the ninth hour of the day since the sun rose. And you go, okay, well, why do, why do we need to know this, right? That's the time. Then if it's the 14th day, then it's at 3 p.m. that you sacrifice. The sacrifice has to be made, right? So when we go back to this uh, Exodus 12, 6, this word twilight, well, that's confusing because it's actually 3 p.m. Ah, well, now let's go to the New Testament. Look what Mark says. I have this on your, on your handout, Mark 15, 34. And I, I believe at least Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Oh, yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention the time. It says, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Now, why do we need to know that? Three in the afternoon. That's when Jesus is giving up his spirit. Why? Because that's the time of the sacrifice. At that moment that Jesus is dying on the cross, the priests in the temple 
are sacrificing the Passover lamb for the nation. And God is saying, no, 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 I don't accept that one anymore. It's over here. It's out here on this cross. And Jesus gives up his spirit at 3 p.m. Ah, it's so important to connect those two because that gives us a date and a time. So three in the afternoon is when Jesus dies. And we know that. It actually says he got put on the cross at 9 a.m., which is the third hour. And then he died at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., three in the afternoon. So that, ah, that's worth it all. And we know uh, the Roman historian Josephus, he confirms that time. And I put that uh, in the little text box uh, on your handout uh, where you can find that, where Josephus mentions it. That's huge right there, because that really get, starts getting specific. Why do the gospel writers include the time? Because of that. All right. Now, if you'll turn over, we're going to go a little bit quickly, because these two are pretty easy for the next one. Uh, the next two, anyways, blood as a sign. I, I put blood is a sign. Maybe I meant as. Okay. Um, blood as a sign, right? So God says, look, I'll tell you what. You're going to sacrifice that lamb, you're going to take the blood, and you're going to put it on the doorposts of your house and on the lintel. And then he says this, verse 13, if you want to look in your Bible, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. So the blood becomes a sign. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now we get the name of the holiday, verse 13. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, in our theological thinking, if Jesus is the Lamb, we are covered in his blood, and the blood becomes a sign, right? And the, and the process of death skips over us, right? And you enter eternal life because you're covered in the blood of the Lamb. It's the same uh, it's the same thing as what we find here in the Passover. So, listen to Paul. He's talking to the Ephesians, and he says this. In him we have redemption. So there's redemption again. Through his blood for the forgiveness of sins. So again, Paul gets it. It's the blood of Jesus that provides the redemption for us. Okay, last, or not last, second to last, unleavened bread. And I'm going to do these real quick because you already know we've kind of beaten this one uh, enough times. You're now going to get here in Exodus, it's, it's verse 17, you're going to get, um, it's now forward looking. Hey, you didn't have enough time to let your bread rise fully, so you ended up with unleavened bread. Now. Because that happened on the night of Passover, God says now, verse 17, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. Why? Because it was on that day I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Well, again, you go back to that New Testament. What holiday are they sure to tell you about? Then came the day of unleavened bread. That's from Luke 22, 7. Comes right out of Exodus 12. Okay, and then we'll finish up with this one. Uh, so all of those, you can see, right? You can start seeing how they're connecting those little details uh, and making sure that you recognize how Jesus becomes the Lamb of God or that he is the Lamb of God. 
All right, last one. And this is really um, very small detail. We never pay attention to it. But it's really an interesting thought about what's going on. There's a commandment that God is going to give the nation of Israel. And then Jesus is going to, he's going to keep the commandment. He doesn't not do it, right? God says to do it. Him and his disciples, okay, well, it's Passover, Passover meal, we'll go do it. So it's called the night for watching. And on your sheet, I have Exodus 12, verse 42. Now I put, the ESV has a better translation, so I didn't put the normal NIV up there. A night of watching. So it starts out, verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord. God watched out all night to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Okay? Now, so this is kind of a cool thing about Exodus 12, is now it goes from a something God did to a forward-looking commandment. So the, the next part of the verse says this, So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all, there's a night of watching kept to the Lord. Why do they keep a night of watching? Because God kept the night of watching for you. And all the people of Israel throughout their generations are supposed to be a night of watching on Passover. So you have your you sacrifice, you have your meal, and now it's a night of watching. And so I put this under the Exodus side a night for watching, it's the Hebrew, is called Lyel Shimmerim. Now, we'll talk in a minute here, the root word for Shimmerim, Shamar. It means to keep, to guard. It's the same, the same root word that talks about the lamb. Keep the lamb, guard it. And now you're guarding. It's a night for watching. It's something about keeping a vigil. There's vigilance involved. So. Lyle Shimmerim, a night for watching. Why do we watch? Because God watched out for you. A night of watching that now the Israelites keep to the Lord. Now, if you just look on the other side of your handout under the night for watching, what do Jesus and his disciples do? They eat the meal. We'll talk next week about connecting some of that last supper, supper uh, stuff to the Passover Seder. They eat the meal, and then they go over to the Gethsemane, right across the valley. The, uh, we talked about the Gethsemane, the olive press, the press, or the, the press for oils, but it's an olive press. And Jesus goes out to pray, and he says this. He came back and found them sleeping, and he says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch? Ah, why do they use the word watch? Now you think, ah, because Judas is going to betray him and the Romans are going to be coming. It's bigger than that. It's a night for watching. And then he repeats it because that word in Greek can mean hold a vigil. Watch and pray that you do not. Why does it get repeated twice? Right? Off, it fits their Passover meal. They go into the Gethsemane and they're supposed to be a night of watching. Why? Because God watched out for them, and they fall asleep. We talked last week, four glasses of wine, 
They're going to be tired after having a big meal and all that. Anyways, it's so cool, this little teeny detail. A commandment that you're supposed to keep forever. Why are we supposed to guard over this holiday? Why is it so important? So, Jesus and his disciples still do the watching. And we just kind of read past that. And you think, now, I know some people might think, oh, come on, that's, they're not really keeping a, that de little detailed commandment. Yes, it's the, it's the Passover. You're following as much as you can of what you, want, what you want God to do. Plus, there's more, and this is what we'll finish on. There is something really important about this holiday, and it's really important about guarding the holiday, keeping the holiday, watching out on the holiday, because the word that is the root word for to guard, to keep, to watch, to preserve, is a word, it's a Hebrew word, shamar. That's the root. And if we notice in this little uh, chapter 12, how many times does shamar show up in the chapter? Seven times. Now, when you get a word that shows up in a little section of your Bible in the Old Testament seven times, you're supposed to pay attention to it. So Exodus, it starts with watch over or guard the lamb, not just take the lamb into your house. You're to, you're to watch over the lamb. And it ends with a commandment to keep a vigil, a night for watching. And in between that, we find all the other ones. We're not going to go over them. I put them on your sheet. But it's really important to notice when you get the number seven showing up, that goes from watching the lamb up here all the way down to two, three, four, five, six, and now God's watching out and then commands you in the future to watch out, then there's something important about watching out. And I think the importance of this is this is the idea of redemption. We have to pay attention to the idea of redemption. It's, uh, that's how important these hol this holiday is. And I don't think you know, we think of the Easter holiday as the resurrection, and that's the promise of the new life in the, in, in the, or the promise of uh, resurrection in the afterlife. I totally agree with that. But we're missing something big about redemption now, that as every year, as you cycle through this um, Passover holiday, that you remember your time of redemption, and you go through the process again. You, you ritualize a historical event in order to bring it into the present. And the rabbis say, when you're keeping Passover, you act as if it's happening to you. Because that's what the ritual does. Part of our communion is, is taking a historical event, uh, bringing it into the present so that we engage as if we are the ones taking communion with Jesus. But I think there's you know, if God's going to say to keep or watch or preserve that, that many times, seven times in a short little span about a holiday, uh, I think we need to pay attention to that holiday, which is why I think it's so important for people to go do a Passover Seder. If you can go to a Messianic Jewish uh, synagogue, because they're Jews that do believe Jesus is Messiah, and they'll integrate all of this. Okay, so all those details in one chapter. That's why it's so important to know cha uh, uh, 
Exodus chapter 12. And if you read it again and again and again, you'll see more and more details will pop up. And then you go to the New Testament and you start understanding those details will jump out at at you in the New Testament. So just a quick review from tonight. Uh, Passover lamb. Paul recognizes uh, Jesus as the Passover lamb. Peter recognizes that. How do they know all that? Well, it's all in those the, the gospel writings that are putting out the details from chapter 12. And of course, the same effect happens. We're being redeemed. He's a lamb without defect. That's important. It happens on the 14th day. Now we can get precise about it. It happens at 3 p.m. The Bible tells us so, and that's the time of the Passover sacrifice. The blood being covered in the blood of the lamb is the sign. And so important to accept that sacrifice and that blood to cover us in redemption. And then how important it is that God wants us to pay attention. It's watching. Make sure you're keeping this holiday and paying every bit of attention to that, to that idea of redemption, being redeemed. So really important, and it's cool to see how that flows right into the New Testament when they're in the Gethsemane. So, okay, that is Passover 2 of 3. So did the high level last week, chapter 12 this week, because that helps us see all these little details in there. Read through chapter 12 again. You'll see more every time you do. And then next week, what we'll do is talk about a Passover Seder and look at some details that help us understand what's going on with Jesus and his disciples, who he's sitting next to. How do we know that? Who he's sharing a meal with? The bits about that we'll go over the wine again and, and so important of, of where he's at in that meal uh, that's, that's indicating the wine for the covenant. So that'll be all next week. And then that Friday will be uh, the beginning of Passover. So this year, Saturday night, you got to stay up all night and a night of watching. And then still make it up early for sunrise service. Might as well just stay up all night. And then you can go to sunrise service first thing in the morning. Well, like I said last, last week, I think that when Christians start engaging in these um, holidays, particularly the Passover, because you can see if Jesus died as the Passover lamb and he's buried on unleavened bread, which if it's, if, and I know there's a d- disagreement on this, but if there's a tradition says Good Friday is he's on the cross, then he would be buried on a Saturday, which is a Sabbath, and the very next day, Sunday, is the next holiday first fruit. So he's bam, 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 one, two, three. It makes those holidays so much more important what Jesus did, not just the resurrection part, the promise of a future resurrection, but that he is going through all the holidays. And I think what that does for Christians, it, it broadens, it deepens, it enriches this holiday season in a way that, you know, perhaps maybe we've lost some of that over the years. You know, barnacles grow up, like I mentioned last week, eggs and bunnies somehow slip their way in there, and you're not even sure how that, you know, how that happens. So I think there is, a lot of people are going back to these holidays and finding tremendous meaning where they didn't have meaning before. I'm not saying you must not eat 
leaven for a whole week. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like it's a salvation issue, but there's some great ideas about, you know, spiritual growth happens in the difficulties of life, you know, and sometimes you have to take a pleasure out, like something with food, and it causes you to now rely more on God. It's not like God punishes you if you eat leaven, but it's an idea of, it's an exercise of, of discipline and spiritual discipline. And it's a great, uh, you know, go a whole week without sin in your life. How about that? You know, there's a good annual exercise to try. Right. I mean, how tough is that? It's, it's good discipline. <laughs> 